It's the podcaster's guide to the conspiracy patron bonus episode. Hello and welcome to the Aloha Low Appreciation Society podcast, where we talk about Aloha Low, one of the more interesting British sitcoms of the 1980s. And we're not going to be doing funny French accents whilst talking about that, because that would be a bit racist. Josh, who was your favourite character on Aloha Low? I kind of liked the, uh, what was her name, Michelle, the, the, the secret agent... Uh, the, the resistance, the resistance with... member who worked with the English. Yes, yes. and I, I liked how I, I think even as, as a budding linguist, even back then, I liked how they had people speaking different with different accents to signify they were speaking different languages. Although the French people spoke with French accents, the German people spoke with German accents. They could all understand each other, but the English people spoke, spoke English accents, and no one could understand them. And I liked how she switched from her French accent to her English accent when she was talking to the English guys. Well, that was clever. Well, I'm glad you've got something positive to say about that terrible sitcom. Yes, well, it was a product of its times, I suppose. I mean, actually, what is fascinating about it, it's fairly clear the first season, maybe first two seasons, they kind of knew what they were doing, which was a pastiche of war films or war TV series of that particular time. And it obviously went on much longer than the writers ever anticipated because it goes from being relatively clever but still not funny to not clever and not funny all of the time. Mm. Sorry, why are we talking about a lower line? Just because... Because we're going to be talking about, about French people, yes, right. But right. First, yes. first, our update on the Whisperer in oh, Darkness. Oh, yes. Yep, so the last three, three episodes... Oh, I listened to three to episodes. I, well... So, spoilers... Um, of the nine end. episodes, episode eight is the, it, it, in the episode eight. The guy is like, "Well, this is going to be the final episode in this one." And I, okay, but I know there's a ninth episode because three episodes just dropped in a row. So, what's, what clever stuff is going to happen there? What clever stuff happened there, Doctor Dentith? It's a series of tones and static operating in the background for twenty-seven minutes, Ooh. and I've listened to all twenty-seven minutes on the notion I might have picked up something in it. And it is a repetition of the same set of tones, or at least I think they're the same set of tones, they actually might not be, and the same static in the background. Now, admittedly, if you've listened to the rest of the episodes, that kind of weird static thing was a plot point in the middle group of episodes, so I imagine you could do the same thing the characters do to that sound and process it through a computer and you might find out something interesting. Yes, but I personally cannot be bothered. I'm just waiting for someone on Reddit to have yeah, done it and then yeah. I, can re I can read about it. So, how did you think it, how did you think it ended? Poorly. Yes, it um, really, unlike the case of Charles Dexter Ward, which had a fairly definite ending. This one kind of just splutters to a halt. Yeah, they, without spoiling things, essentially... Spo spoiling a story which has been in print since the 1930s. Well, yes, but this is a very loose adaptation Very, of it, very so loose. Essentially, weird stuff happens that we don't under, quite don't really understand what's going on, and then the main characters don't really remember what happened afterwards, 
and that's about it. And it seems to be more about like the first one is a self-contained thing. When it was successful, they it now this one appeared to be trying to set up their H.P. Lovecraft shared universe thing they're going for by the the actual plot of the original story, Whisperer in the Darkness, is a tiny, tiny fraction of this. And instead they're bringing in Nihilathotep and Azathoth, and at the end of it they start bringing in Innsmouth, and they mention Dunwich, and so it seems like they're, they're more interested in tying their clever, their story about this, this whole sort of culty conspiracy stuff together into a single thing that brings all of H.P. Lovecraft's works into it. Yes, it was... It was an interesting series, this one. I mm. don't think it was anywhere near as successful as the case of Charles Dexter Ward. And I think that's because the case of Charles Dexter Ward was a quite clever adaptation of a fairly st straightforward investigative story into the confines of a true crime podcast. But they went too big too quickly mm. in season two. I think where you start so, having yeah. rival government departments and this huge pantheon of moving parts. And it kind of goes, if they do a third series, how do they escalate any further without it becoming quite ridiculous? The, the conceit of this podcast is it's playing it's on a, the BBC. Yeah. Yeah, it's a couple of ordinary people just getting sucked into weird things, but able to produce a podcast about secret government departments that gets broadcast on the BBC. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, so it's... It, it's kind of straining believability. I mean, the first season kind of strained it by not really sounding like a proper podcast. Mm. And now it's gone to the point where it has to be set in an alternate reality because things don't work that way here. No. I mean, an interesting listen. I'd, I'd still recommend it. But, um, well, it's... yes, so the thing was, I still found it really compelling. Mm. I mean, that was why the ending was so disappointing. Yeah. It really did feel like it was going somewhere. And knowing the end of Whisperer in Darkness, it actually doesn't have quite the dark ending that that story has, mm. which is kind of unfortunate. But that is because, as you point out, they're not really interested in telling the story of Whisperer in Darkness they're setting up the shadow over Innsmouth, which yeah. will be the next one. So I wonder, I mean, you talk about how it escalated so quickly into something big. I, I wonder if that was just them simply laying out the groundwork. And I, I would hope that from now on they've sort of set things in place so they won't spend subsequent seasons building things up more. They'll just play with the with what they spent this season setting up. But I hope so. I hope so, yeah. We won't know mm. until probably... Sometimes, well, I mean, given yeah. that they did two series this year, mm. maybe halfway through next year. Maybe, yes. Anyway, so that's an interesting little update there. But we, we, we have a, a proper topic to talk to you about this week, not a news update, because the main episode was all just, just, just rehashing, looking over, over the year. So we're going to talk to you about Jean Calmont. Who's Jean Calmont? Jean Calmont was apparently the world's oldest woman who back in 1997 died at the age of 122, so the oldest recorded person according Ever. to the Guinness mm. Book of Records. And an interesting Russian mathematician by the name of Nikolai Zak, who is claiming that Kelmar actually died in 1934, and the person who claimed to be her 
who died in, at the age of 122 in 1997, was in fact her daughter Yvonne, who was born in, in 1898, which way she would have still made her well, quite still, old. Still made her 99 years old, but, but not a super centenarian. Yes, mm. centenarian. I'm never going to get that. Super centenarian. Yep. Centenarian. Mm. Okay. Yeah, so she died in 1997 and has sort of become a bit of a sort of a celeb. Yeah, celebrated yeah. figure in France. Um, but earlier this year, I think it was at the start of the year, this guy, Nicolas Zach, um, made the claim that, yeah, it wasn't her, that it was actually her daughter for, for most of her life. Um, I, from the sounds of things, he was simply just made interested in it by the sheer unlikeliness of a human being reaching the age of 121, like the sort of... 122. 122, sorry, yes. The, num the number of sort of making it to 100 is very rare. Making it past 110 is excruciatingly rare. Getting all the way to 122 is sort of is, is unprecedented uh, in... When you get to that age, surviving another year is becomes ridiculously unlikely. So she's sort of several years more long lived than the next closest person, which yeah, in, fact, in those terms is, could you know might as well be decades. There's a fairly interesting discussion in the article that we're referring to, which was published in the Guardian, that there's this kind of weird acce acceleration, plateauing, and then acceleration of the human lifespan. In that it seems if you get to about the age of eighty then there's kind of a plateau there that every, every subsequent year you live for about 12 years, you're no more likely to die that year than you were the last. And then when you start to get into your mid to late 90s, suddenly it starts to accelerate and it becomes even more likely with every year you live that next year you're going to die. Mm. And so that's why you get this kind of weird thing where people seem to get to a stagnant phase of not aging at all in their dotage and then getting really you old very, fast, yeah. very quickly. And so getting to 122 is at the point where they're going, it starts to become week by week we think you're going mm. to die. Yeah, so Mr. Zuck, he, he just just seems like he just sort of decided this really seems fishy, I don't believe this for a minute, and started looking into it. Um, he published a paper in the US-based journal Rejuvenation Research. Now, it should be said, he is a mathematician, not, yes, a, yes. not a longevity expert or anything. A gerontologist. A ger that's the word, yes. Um, so he his paper had 17 pieces of evidence supporting his theory that uh, upon her death, her daughter switched places with her. Supposedly, there were uh, differences between quote-unquote Jean when she was older and when she was younger. Supposedly she cha had a change in eye colour, or at least was referred to as having different colour eyes. Um, there were discrepancies in things she said about her earlier life. She claimed to have, for instance, met Vincent van Gogh in her father's shop, whereas her father didn't have a shop, he was a shipbuilder. Um, he also claimed that... Um, there's no record of her 100th birthday, which normally would be a big deal for anyone who turns 100, um, and so on. And he, um, he, but he admits he has no proof positive, um, that, that a lot of it's just sort of uh, circumstantial evidence that points towards this thing. Um, he, did, he suggested a motive for this happening, though, which was that... Um, uh, Yvonne took her mother Jean's place in 1930, when was it? 1934, yeah, to avoid particularly high inheritance taxes, which doesn't seem like a great motive. But I suppose no, and also it does get money, questioned by the French researchers going, 
actually there weren't punitive inheritance taxes at that particular point in time anyway. That's not doing enough research to work out exactly what the taxes looked like. But yes, the claim is Yvonne's mother died. Yvonne decided to take the place of her mother to avoid paying an inheritance tax and then lived with her father as her mother and thus her father's wife for quite some time. Mm. Quite some queasy, queasy yeah. time. So that's one of, some of, one of the biggest objections to it um, have basically been the, the implausibility of how it could have worked to begin with. Um, she lived in Arles, um, with a which had a relatively close-knit population. Like, you couldn't just... Pe people knew each other enough that you couldn't just turn up and say, you know, hello, look, it's me, Jean, unless you happen to be the identical twin of your own mother, which doesn't seem particularly likely. But yeah, um, Jean's uh, husband died what, uh, eight years after her in 1942? So for that eight-year period, he would have had to have been playing along with it and pretending that his daughter was his wife. Um, Yvonne had her own son, Friedrich, so he would she would have had to have trained him to refer to her as grandma instead of mother, essentially. Um, a whole no, lot I mean, actually, this is what we haven't implicit. pointed out here. Yvonne in the official story dies. Yes, yes, her daughter supposedly died of tuberculosis. Tuberculosis yes, died young, yes. died long before um, her mother. So, yeah, so the, the theory here is it was Jean who died and Yvonne took her place, as opposed to the official theory, which is that Yvonne died and mm. Jean then lamented the fact her, da her daughter was dead. Mm. So, I mean, uh, one thing he has suggested they could. Um, if they could get DNA evidence, this might show something. Apparently, um, Jean, Jean, Yvonne, the daughter, had 16 great-great-grandparents. That's right, is it two parents, four grandparents? Yeah, so great-great-grandparents. She apparently had 16, whereas Jean only had 11 due to a bit of 17th century inbreeding. Uh, 19th century inbreeding, um, but basically. So you're saying she's a time tra time tra time traveler as well as a super centenarian. No, I'm saying I got my my centuries mixed up. I prefer um, my version. Possibly. So so th there would be that th you'd, you'd be able to tell that a person um, had had fewer ancestors from their DNA parent, even even if they didn't have you know because obviously whichever one of them died in 1934, not likely to have a sample to compare directly with, but they could do stuff there. But I don't think anyone's going to actually do that. Um, no, it actually turns out to be a fairly standard story. Researcher from another country demands body be disinterred to prove theory. Family members go, no, mm. we actually don't care. No. Now, there has been, I mean, th this suggests sort of, a, a, if, if this theory is true, it's kind of a low-level conspiracy, that this woman and presumably the people around her all got together to... to um, to enable this deception, but there have been some bigger sort of conspiracy theories suggested around it. Well, yes. So the defenders of Jean claim that Nikolai Zank is engaged in a Russian-based conspiracy to question the very fundamentals of Western science. 
And this has been supported by Robert Young, who does the validation of supercentenarians for the Guinness Book of Records, who believes that the attack on Jean is a deliberate attempt to sow doubt about Western scientific methods amounting to academic fraud. And his major argument here, and actually I don't think this is a particularly good argument at all, is that he thinks that the paper that Zark wrote about Jean is being inflated by bots. So the first version of the paper that was released was read by about 70,000 individuals. The revised version was only read by 1,400 individuals. So going that shows that there's a, a Russian troll farm engaging in inflating numbers there. He also accuses Zach of engaging in fraudulent activities such as manipulating a photo of Yvonne to make her look less like her mother than she actually did and doing other things of that particular ilk to basically bolt up his own theory by inventing data. Mm. Now, Zerk would reply, look, this isn't a big deal where I come from. In Russia, nobody cares about this woman. Yeah. It's not like I'm, you know, it's not like there's some massive rivalry and I, I, I have a motive to, to throw all this into turmoil. Um, and I dare say, like, I had, I, I had heard that the oldest a person had lived to was around 120, but I didn't know it was a French woman called Jean Calmon. I hadn't heard her name until I started reading about this. He's basically like, you know, look, this is my theory. It's, there's no motive behind it. There's no ulterior motives or anything. It's just, it's just a thing that I think. But Well, except there is an ulterior motive if you accept that one of the people he's associated with, who I forgot, forgot to write down the name of, who is a person researching longevity, ah, I can't even say long, longevity, but say longevity. Long longevity. Long longevity. Long longevity. Long I, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't say it at all. And so the theory is this particular researcher is very interested in Kalmon because if Kalmon actually did live to 122, then that indicates there's something interesting about her genetic makeup that allowed her to live the longest life a human is ever said to have lived. So if you were to then disinter her and get a genetic sample and then work through the DNA to find out what interesting markers she has or you know, what, what gets produced by the DNA when it's processed, that would be quite useful. So you cast doubt on the story to then force the authorities to prove, in fact, she was the person she was and she was older she was when she died, giving you a genetic sample that then your mentor can go, excellent. Now I have the key to immortality. Ah, so it's all a it's all a plot, it's all a ten-dimensional chess plot thing. Yes. Now this all may be um, a little bit moot because another study that came out earlier this year, basically points out that um, the areas and the time periods that have produced the most supercentenarians have also been the ones with the worst record-keeping. Yes. Suggesting that maybe a lot of these people who claimed to have lived to over 110 were either lying 
or simply mistaken because they, they themselves weren't clear on, on in exactly how old they are because they don't know exactly when it is that they were born. Yes, most people know their age because they're told by their parent at some particular point in time, you are X years of age today. So, I mean, I remember my fifth birthday because it's very closely associated with my going to school for the first time. But it's not as if I remember being five. Mm. I remember being told I am five. And I mean, you've got an example in your yeah, close-knit family my... of someone who isn't entirely sure how old they are. Yeah, my father-in-law is not 100% certain which year he was born. I think there have been several versions of his birth certificate, or the date on his birth certificate is different from the date that his the year that his parents say he was born or something. So they, he, they think he was born in 1950, but it could have been a year or two either way. Yes, and I mean, on mum's side, there's always been a little bit of a scandal about either a birth certificate or a marriage certificate being wrong, because if they're both right, someone was born out of wedlock back in the early part of the 20th century, and that's not on to talk mm. about, but no one was ever willing to say which of the records was wrong, because presumably the records weren't wrong at all. Yes, yeah, so people, so this, this paper looked at things like, essentially um, across, the, across the United States, each state were, uh, brought in sort of proper birth certificate record keeping at different times, and you can basically see that every time a state brings in, starts keeping proper birth records, the number of supercentenarians drops something between uh, in this study 69 and 82 percent so as yeah, soon as huge. as soon as good record keeping comes in the number of people living past 110 drops dramatically suggesting that, that there probably weren't that many people beforehand yes which indicates that people like jean may well have thought that they are 122 but because they probably only got their birth certificate very late in life probably went, oh, I, I thought it was X number of years old, but according to the certificate, I'm actually X plus Y years old. Oh, I'm a lot older than I thought I was. Oh, well, I'll celebrate my, my 32nd birthday rather than my 22nd birthday today, and thus you continue living your life with your adjusted age, mm. not really questioning it, because it's, it's a document, and documents can't be wrong. They're written on paper. Yeah, I mean, in any case, she was very, very old, and I mean... These these sorts of changes they're probably not going to like take ten years off your life. It would probably only be a few. So she was pro she probably was a genuine super centenarian, but um, well, unless of course the whole daughter swap thing was well, actually yes, borne out. Yes. Now it should be pointed out that in support of Nik Nikolai Zak's view, it actually was rumored back in two thousand and six that Jean Cahamon was nowhere near as old as it was claimed to be. So apparently there's an account of a French industry, account in a French industry newspaper, and by this they mean the insurance industry, at a dinner in which a guest intimated that her insurers had known of the identity switch, but no action had been taken because she was already too famous. Mm. Um, and supposedly the Kalmon family requested that her Jean's personal papers be burned yes. rather than have people which so, so there are there are a couple of suspicious things. So 
So who knows? It's an interesting case. But I think the wider point is that possibly our stories of people living to really late, really, um, late ages are, are skewed by poor record keeping. And they talk about it. They, they did have a look internationally. Like Okinawa is the place I've heard of. Okinawa in Japan, where Mr. Miyagi comes from in The Karate Kid. That's where we all heard of it from. Uh, had a, had a, a reputation for having the longest lived people in the world. And they put it, yeah, it also had some of the worst record keeping up until more, most recently as well. And there are a lot of areas like that where people will sort of say, oh, look, the people who live here live for really, really long times. So let's emulate their diet and see what it is that they do. And yet when you look at it, and often they tend to be sort of quite um, sort of poorer areas as well, where people generally are li living in worse conditions. So the idea that people there would be living longer lives than average does seem a little bit fishy. Although that does support the notion that maybe their record keeping isn't particularly good because in a poor region... Would you rather spend your time working the fields for mm. food or keeping good records? Although it does suggest if you want to live a very long time, don't write anything down. No, exactly. And there was a point in the um, in that paper about supercentenarians in general that was talking about just... Um, the basic point is if you're looking for something incredibly rare, then your data set will be dominated by errors and false positives. Yes. So in any case, if you're looking for something that occurs um, in one in a million people and your test is 99.99% accurate, that still means you're going to get 100 false positives for every one positive. And if you're looking for you know, people who genuinely live to be over 110 are incredibly rare... Um, so that means you, you basically only need a couple of people who pretend or are mistaken about being over 110 to outweigh the number of people who genuinely do. Science. Statistics. Number mm. one. So yeah, I, I thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. An interesting little, little thing yeah, to talk about. Just, I mean, just a little bit of patron bonus content there, a bit of a Russian conspiracy, mm. and a bit of useful information about if you want to live a lot longer, make sure your birth certificate is inaccurate. Mm. Um, so to our patrons, we, want, we, we again, like the rest of them, say have a, have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday and a whatever it is else that you happen to be doing at this time of year. I mean, you might you might live in a country which doesn't, doesn't actually have a, Christmas, yeah. a Christ, Christian background at all, and you go, what is this Merry Christmas malarkey you're going on about? Mm, thank you, Joe Biden. Malarkey. Yes. Joe Biden is true. now the only person who's allowed to say malarkey, unfortunately. There was a yes, as, as my friend Marty Orr pointed out, he appears to be campaigning for the 1920 presidential election. Mm. Um, yes, so what, what, whatever you're going to be doing over the period when we're on holiday, uh, enjoy doing it. We and we'll will... see you halfway through January for an exciting look at the Rendlesham incident. Mm. Central to Whisper and Darkness. Yes. yes. And there's some special content about that coming up as well. Indeed. So, uh, until later, thank you for being our patrons. We once again really do like you Better than all the rest of them. It's true. Our love is expressed to you and you alone. All mm. the others, we express like. I mean, we're not cold to them. If oh, they, no, we certainly we, appreciate If we bump the rest into them in the street, we don't walk on by. But we don't embrace them like we embrace you. Mm. We don't smother you in kisses. No. We don't hug you close to our hearts and say we're never, ever letting go. You are the people that we dream about at night. Mm. 
Um, so pleasant dreams to you. There'll, there'll definitely be pleasant we'll dreams be for in us. Them. Mm. We'll be in those dreams. Just lurking in the background. Whenever you see a shadowy figure in your dreams, that's us. We're just waiting, biding our time. And then one day, we'll be in your face! Mm. And we'll see you next year. Toodle-pip! <laughs>